Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also have strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing, from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and in interviewing the experts to help you and your journey to success. This episode is sponsored by Bright Pearl. Bright Pearl is inviting you to discover how to win with automation at a series of free virtual events. These include a webinar with Spotify about exactly how to automate your orders and save yourself hours every week. And it's completely free. Discover more and sign up now at brightpearl.com forward slash life is short. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who hasn't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I've been hosting the podcast since June 2020, so nearly a year now. I don't think we're going to do an anniversary, unfortunately, partly because I'm not important. What is important is the advice we give and all of you guys tuning in and getting lots of good advice and that sort of thing. Although today, we're not actually going to be giving advice, and I'll come on to that in a second and why I've said that as a very specific reason. For anyone who didn't listen in, I do recommend going back and listening to the last three or four weeks. We've done a very interesting series sponsored by Bright Pearl, one of our favorite partnerships that we've got. Bright Pearl regularly on the show, releasing free white papers, free guides, etc. And we've just had a few weeks where we've had some of the Bright Pearl customers all on Shopify Plus talking about automation and how they've automated their businesses. In particular, I recommend last week's episode. The business themselves launched their first website in the 90s which seems like an absolute age ago. I personally wasn't even 10 until the 90s finished, so that can give you an idea of my age. But I highly recommend going back and listening to that. They've had so many websites over the years, and Shopify Plus, including BrightPower, has been an absolute brainwave to them. So if, again, if you missed that series, highly recommend going back and listening to the last few episodes to catch up on lots of missed content. Today, we are launching a new series, and this series might look a little bit dry on the surface. But I personally think this series is possibly the most important that we've ever run on this podcast. Some of the topics are going to be a little bit dry. Some of them are going to be a little bit less fun than we normally talk about with Pinterest and advertising and all the funky things you can do. But we're going to be talking about the business side of running an e-commerce business. We're going to be talking about legal. We're going to be talking about finance, HR, who to hire, all this sort of stuff. And then we're going to have a final episode where we're probably, but not definitely, going to be talking about how you make an exit from your store as well. So without further ado, today's episode is going to be all about your absolute priorities when running an e-commerce business. So I've got a very special guest with me. He's been on the show before and I cannot wait to have him back today and we may get him back in a few weeks time as well. So without further ado, Ben, welcome back to the show. Hey Nick, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. As I said, it's uh, certainly the last episode we did with you was incredibly popular. Loads of positive feedback. So I'm very excited for today's conversation. But before we dive in, do you want to give us a quick overview about yourself and anybody that missed that episode, what you do, where you came from, and, and most importantly, the store that you're best known for founding? 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So my background was not originally in e-commerce or, or business at all. My background was in ecology. I grew up in rural Aberdeenshire in northeast Scotland, where we have some lovely countryside. And so it was uh, inevitable that I would get interested in nature. And I uh, went to university, studied zoology and then ecology, and ended up working in the oil and gas industry as an environmental advisor, basically telling engineers that they're not allowed to throw chemicals in the sea and helping the environmental regulator slowly but surely make the regulations tighter and tighter. And it wasn't until I was about 27 that I got into business and I discovered that I had an entrepreneurial spark that I hadn't previously known about. To cut a long story short, I, I got quite ill. I had to take a rest from my fitness hobbies and ended up using the time that I was recovering to develop a brand of fitness equipment. And that was called Beast Gear. And I grew that business over three and a half years until it was turning over mid seven figures and was selling internationally. And I ended up selling it in late 2019. And now I am building new brands with an eye to building them to sell. And I'm helping others get the same thing that I got, which was an exit through my brokerage, which is called Ecom Brokers. And that's where I am today. Yeah, that's a quick potted history. Excellent. And what I love, and this is one of the reasons I love running this podcast, is hearing different stories of how people fell into certain industries. Like, for example, I, I never thought I'd end up in marketing, but here I am. You know, I never, when I was sitting at school, I wanted to run a business. I didn't want to necessarily do marketing, but the fact that you were advising people on the environment and, you know, how to distribute chemicals around so it's safe, they go to the right place, etc. And then suddenly you're selling gym fitness equipment online. Mm. And it's, it's such a, such a gear change, but yeah, which is a slight joke on the name, by the way. But so, nonetheless, as I said, we're going to be talking about some of the slightly more kind of established parts of running a business, which I personally think there's a bit of a danger when you run a Shopify store that everything's a bit plug and play. It's quite easy. And everything in the system of Shopify is all about improve this, add this app, make this look cool, make this thing over here, animate, etc. And what often people forget and what we're going to try and start covering off in this series is people forget that actually if any of that works you're suddenly going to have lots of customers to deal with. You're going to have accounts that you need to keep track of and file. You're going to have tax bills you need to pay, etc. So a quick disclaimer for anybody listening today, just to say we're not going to be giving any legal advice, any financial advice, etc. We are not regulated by anybody. We're not in the financial or legal industries, etc. We're just going to be sharing some of the experiences that we've had in our businesses. So me from a B2B side, then obviously from an e-commerce and specifically Shopify side of things, we're going to be sharing some of the tools, tips, tricks, and also some of the times where it's all gone wrong. And as I mentioned to Ben earlier, 4am sitting in front of a laptop at the age of 18 years old going, what's VAT and why do I have to pay it? And how do I find the money? Uh, so we will come on to all of that as we go through today. But yeah, just, just to say a quick disclaimer, my lawyer did say just to mention that we're not going to be giving any advice today. We're just going to be sharing our own experiences. And then you guys, our recommendation is always to go out and find proper advice, proper advice where they can advise you correctly. And, and certainly paying for it, I think, is, a, is an important part of that. So Ben, first question for you then to get the conversation started about this. How important is this side of the business to somebody running an e-commerce store? Yeah, it's incredibly important. And it get, it, you alluded to it before, it gets overlooked because it's not the exciting part. It's not the part of, oh, we're, we're, I'm developing my product and I'm building my brand and I'm, people are buying from me and I'm building my social media. It's the boring, stuffy bit behind the scenes. But it doesn't have to be that boring when you get it right and when you consider that it's part of the process. And the better you get this side of it, you know, the, the boring, stuffy business side, the more fun the rest of it will be because you know 
everything is ship shape. And to, I just mentioned ship shape there actually. And I like to think about your e-commerce business as, as being like a ship or a boat. So it's that, you know, this analogy that I'm about to explain helps turn some of these boring concepts into something a little bit more interesting. So for instance, the boat has a hull and the hull has the capacity to take luggage or freight or whatever you want to put in there. And if you imagine that all that luggage or freight or cargo is overhead, the more of it you put in, you're going to reach a point where you're, you've got too much cargo and your boat can't take it. So you need to keep your overhead lightweight. Your boat needs something to power it to make it go. So it needs an engine. And your engine is your products. And your products need to be profitable and they need to be in demand. Otherwise, your engine ain't going to work. And your engine needs fuel. Or another way to put, think about that is your products need fuel. So your products need marketing because fuel runs the engine and marketing runs, if you like, the products. And somebody needs to drive the boat because with no one to drive it, it's not going to go anywhere, no movement. And that's your cash flow. With no cash flow, your business is going nowhere. So the engine, the fuel, and the captain is what you need to make your your business or your ship move. So there are ways to, to think about this in a slightly more fun way, if you like. Yeah, no, I love that analogy. And I think it's so true. A couple of practical examples of people then on that would be that if you don't manage your cash, you might have the absolute winning product, your marketing suddenly works, but you can't get any more of that product in stock because you don't have any cash. So forecasting therefore becomes very, very important. Equally the same as you know, if you want to employ some staff, suddenly there's a whole new level of responsibility of I've got to pay these these people and and we'll come on to this a bit later, but I need to pay their tax as well. You know, businesses, it's slightly different in the US, but generally in the UK, for sure, it's very similar in the US and other, other countries. If you have a staff member, the staff member might get paid, say, £2,000, $2,000 a month. Some of that you need to hand over to the government as tax on their behalf. In the UK, we call it PAYE, pay as you earn. If you don't account for all of that, and also in the UK, we have the employer's contribution. If you've not accounted for that when you've employed that staff member, as you say, you're going to run out of cash, which I like the analogy of that almost being like the fuel. Yep. If you run out of cash, you can't pay your staff, you can't buy any more products, and you've got no money. You've got no products, no staff, the whole business has fallen apart. So actually, without doing any of these things, yeah, I completely agree with you, Ben, the whole thing is going to fall apart. You, you cannot run a business without understanding the business. Yeah, you've uh, summed it up completely. Talking then, let's let's talk about the financial side for a little bit. So obviously most of our audience are running stuff on Shopify. How does it work with things like tax rates? Like, you know, in the UK, we have to pay VAT, value-added tax, about 20% here at the moment. And it applies to some, but all, not all products. How's that, how's that managed within Shopify? How do you account for that? And also, how do you actually get it to the government? So it's, it's relatively straightforward. So for for anyone who's not familiar, there is a, a VAT threshold. So I'm not a tax expert. I don't play well on the internet, but I believe the threshold is somewhere in the region <laughs> of £82,000 at the moment. Yes, yes. So you that. won't have to pass VAT onto HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, until you're generating sales that hit that threshold. But when you do, you'll need to pass that on. And people often think, oh, no, I need to pay VAT. I think that's the wrong way of thinking about it. You're not paying VAT. The customer is paying VAT on the sale, the value added tax. You're collecting it for 
Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, and then you're passing it on. And inside of Shopify, you can set the territories in which you're selling and apply the appropriate VAT rates so that then the orders apply those rates correctly. And when you have your accountant do your accounts, essentially, and if you've set it up properly with the right software and Shopify speaking to the right software, your orders coming in from each territory will have applied the appropriate VAT. And then you can pass it on to the tax authority. And I think it sounds so simple, mm. but to throw a curveball in, and I've, I've only known of one store to have this happen, but then, again, I'm not a tax advisor, I'm not an accountant, so I don't have these conversations very often. But one of my friends is running quite a successful store. They then realized if they become VAT registered, they can reclaim VAT on some of their expenses. So some of the stuff they pay for in the UK, they can say, well, we've paid out £100 worth of VAT over there, and we've also gained £100 worth of VAT from a customer here. You can offset them when you submit your tax return. The challenge, though, that they had is when they did that, they suddenly realized they had to work out 20% of all product sales. So I like the way you've put it is absolutely correct. You're collecting it from the customer and giving it to the government, HMRC, etc. But the challenge was that they then had to either raise the price of their products to cover that, which makes them a lot less competitive, or they keep the price the same and they've just lost, it's not quite 20% because it's, it's 20% on top of the price. So it would be around a sixth, one sixth of the value of the product. They've just lost a sixth of their profit if they don't change the prices. And of course, they were having a freak out because they had become VAT registered three months in or four months in. They had to do their first VAT return for the first three months. And suddenly it was like, well, hang on a minute. We've only generated like 14% profit, but we've got to give 20% of all our income now across to the government. And they hadn't accounted for it. So they made a loss. And that, that is exactly my point. And we'll probably cover this more in another episode, I think, about tax and whatnot. But it's exactly my point that actually, if you don't get these sums right then you can quite easily find yourself, as I mentioned earlier, as I did when I was 18, I suddenly got a VAT bill I needed to pay. And I was like, where on earth am I going to get that kind of money from? And actually, my business at the time wasn't really making 20% profit. So registering it was actually a downside. I did it probably too early, caused me lots of problems. Fortunately, I've learned and you know, I account for all of this in a business plan, in a budget now. So I know exactly where the VAT is going. But you've got to think that the customers themselves, the VAT is all part of the product. So if you suddenly raise the price, you're probably going to find your conversion rate decreases. If you don't raise it, you're going to lose revenue. So you need to make some sort of plan, including any taxes you're going to have to pass off to, to the government. My approach, again, not giving any advice, but my approach has always been to be very conservative with the numbers. Always overestimate how much money we're going to have to shell out to suppliers on tax, etc. And then you always end up with more profit in your pocket than you were expecting, which is the best, best way of running it, in my opinion. Completely agree. And and you mentioned there the word plan and sitting yes. down to plan through this stuff. Not just going to be my next question. <laughs> but okay. Okay. but with your accountant, sit down and, and plan how this is all going to look with your accountant. So you, so you can say to yourself, right, we, we reckon that our VAT bill for the next quarter is going to be approximately X. We have to pay that by whenever the next date is. Where are we going to get that money from? and start reverse engineering how this is going to work so you can build it in. And you mentioned there, you know, when you do hit that threshold, it's going to eat into your margin if you don't put your prices up. 
well, you know, there's options there. You, you, you can put your prices up a bit and then take a little bit of a hit. And yeah, you know, b- people will say, but I'll be less competitive. But you've got to remember that, well, suppose your competitors, maybe all of them or some of them, haven't hit the threshold yet either. They're going to run into this problem too. But it's also a nice problem to have. It means you're growing. And so pretty soon, you know, the problems brought about by having to register for VAT and pass this VAT on to HMRC will be, you know, balanced out by the fact that, well, now you can benefit from economies of scale. So potentially all your cost of goods will go down because you're you're ordering them from your manufacturers in, in greater quantities and your shipping costs are going to come down, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have a bigger marketing budget. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts and it's not all do it's definitely not doom and gloom when you hit the VAT, VAT register threshold. You know, it's a you know, go out and have a beer because you've, you know, you're growing, you're getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree with that. I think you mentioned the plan and I said that was going to be my next question anyway. Yeah. The plan is so important. So I've mentioned a lot on the, you know, on the podcast before, so some of you guys would have heard this, but I, when I first heard that Shopify exists many, many years ago now, I bought uh, $5,000 worth of bamboo sunglasses on Alibaba and had them shipped to the UK on the train home from a sort of meetup in, up in London. And uh, the reason we closed that business down is two and a half years in, I did something I wish I'd done on day one because I would have probably chosen a different product and run it very differently. The calculation we did, my business partner and I, we sat down and worked out, okay, if we're both going to take, say, £20,000 each out of this business, you know, drawing that out of some earnings, how many products do we need to sell per day? And every time we reached like a new threshold of products per day, more costs came in that we hadn't planned for. So this again was just a plan. It was all on a piece of paper. You know, it's a blank canvas. You've got free will to write whatever you want on that piece of paper. But it ended up working out that we needed to sell about a thousand products per day at our current price point, including things like warehousing costs, et cetera, that we would need to as the volume was increasing and someone to pick and pack, et cetera. The margins became so unappealing that we were ending up I think it was a thousand orders a day to take fifteen thousand pounds each, so thirty thousand in total out as profit at the end of the year. Bear in mind we were being conservative, so we might have been able to take a bit more out or reinvest that and get to two thousand orders a day. But the whole point I'm trying to make is that the margin on our product wasn't good enough, and our cost of sale because we were only selling through Google Shopping was not good enough. So actually it set some very realistic targets. And we thought, you know what, we do not have the time to really do this. Let's just wind the thing up. And I think I wish I'd done that some earlier on. And I think you mentioned the plan. There's lots of free e-commerce business plans online. I don't have one to recommend to hand, but I do highly recommend, as you said, Ben, speak to an accountant and make this plan and work out the things like what's the average amount of orders per day we need to get to somewhere where this becomes profitable? At what point can I leave my day job? At what point can I hire somebody and still be making profit? And that's that's really a thing is still making profit. Completely. <laughs> yeah, you've summed it up perfectly there. Have a plan, reverse engineer it. You know, it's like talk to an accountant to get an understanding of where of where you are now and where your business is now. And then you've got a reference point. And then imagine that you're mapping out the path of some you know, trek, you're, you're trekking through the jungle or whatever. What is coming up ahead of us? Well, here's our, here's what we think the VAT bill is going to be based on, you know, how we project our sales are, are going to go. What's your cash flow going to look like? Have a cash flow forecast put together by your accountant based on, you know, everything that's going to be going on for your business, new products you might be wishing to launch, the sales that you predict that you're going to have. Are you going to have the cash to pay for that bill? 
you ought to if your business is actually you know in a, in a sound financial condition and then just 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 reverse engineer it i mean it makes it sounds incredibly simple it's a lot more complex than that it is <laughs> but when you sit down with an expert it, it becomes a whole lot easier whatever you do don't try and do this all on your own yeah but it also it gives you i think even if you know the numbers yourself talking to somebody else who can challenge you and go okay if you think you're only going to spend five percent of your turnover on marketing it's going to be more like 45 percent certainly in the early days we were trying to build a customer base and whatnot yep. um having somebody that can challenge you on things because i'll be honest you know I'm, I'm a salesperson at heart and i very much have roasted into glasses of like yeah we'll easily sign 10 new clients this month and then when i look at it realistically in our business i'm like we're not going to sign 10, are we? We only need, really need one or two at the moment. And even that, the team would be a bit like, oh, we're going to have to shuffle some diaries a little bit. You know, we, as, a, as a business, we, we like to be at capacity because then we're most profitable, which then means we're in control of what we're doing. So that's the model we've gone for. But they, you see how those are decisions we've made. And sometimes you do need a bit of traction before you get somewhere. But okay, it's a question for you then, Ben, and this might be more what you're doing today than what you did previously. I don't know. Mm. I've never quite asked about this, but let's talk very briefly about loss-making and investment okay because a lot of e-commerce businesses they take a bit of investment they make a loss for a few years just to get that critical mass mm. with a plan of you know once we've sold x amount of bamboo sunglasses we'll start selling hats as well and we'll have a database of a hundred thousand customers we'll hit them with all these emails which cost us next to nothing we'll make loads of profit it's a very crude example of that what have you experienced over the years or what are the different approaches to as I say, sort of making a loss during the kind of growth periods, but knowing you're going to get some funding to do that and plan to then make a lot of profit when you stop the kind of reinvestment and start paying back investment loans, whatever it might be. What, you know, what, what's your experience on that sort of thing been? Sure. So first thing to say up front is I, I never took any investment as such. I took loans, but I never took any investment in exchange for equity or anything like that with my business. But of course, like pretty much every business, it was loss making to start and I had to, to chuck some more of my own money at it. But pretty quickly, it became profitable. There's nothing wrong with making a loss and, and, and taking an investment, provided that this is all part of the plan. If you find you're, you're making a loss and you're flailing to, to get investment and get money into the business because you, know, you don't have the cash, then that's a red flag. And you need to take a step back and assess, you know, it's like what I said just before, actually, where are we now and where are we going and, and what are the steps we need to take to get there? And if you need to change the plan or if you haven't even got a plan, then then sort that out because it's very easy in e-commerce because it's because e-commerce is such a level playing field. There's so many tools available to us all for free or cheaply. And it's wonderful that so many people can get involved in, in this industry and, and launch physical products and create brands. But it also means that it's very easy to quickly get in a pickle if you don't have a handle on these things. So, you know, just to explain what I did, you know, I said I didn't take any investment. But what I did, did take were loans based on the performance of the business. And because I was selling not just my first brand, Beast Gear, was selling on our own website built on the Shopify platform, but also on marketplaces like Amazon. And the great thing about that was that Amazon had access to our sales data and therefore knew that we had the sales to be able to afford to pay back loans. And so they offered us loans at a incredibly low rates of interest, which enabled me to take those loans, easily pay them back and use that money to scale the business. 
So if you have the opportunity to take that type of a loan, it's something to really think about. Of course, you know, get the appropriate advice. I think that's interesting, though, because we, we get approached quite a lot. And I'll be honest, a lot of them want to be um, guests on the podcast. We yep. might get one of them on in this series where they sort of say, well, you know, if you can show us your advertising data in terms of how much you spend and how much you make, we would be willing to give you a bit of a flexible overdraft, as you said, and a very low interest rate, a sort of you know, we're spending 5,000, 10,000 pounds of dollars a month now. If we went from 10 to 20, we're pretty confident that our, you know, if we're making 50 at the moment, we reckon that if we could spend 20, we would, that 50 would go up to 100,000. Mm. So if we double the spend, double the revenue, it's quite an easy, quick win loan for them to say, well, yeah, let's do it. Yep. Because e-commerce is very unique in the sense that it's quite, it's quite fast paced. As soon as somebody's bought a product, the money's on its way to your bank account. It might be a week or two before it actually hits your account, but you're talking a week or two. Whereas a business like mine, we start quite small for our clients and our fees go up as, as our client grows and increases the amount of activity they're doing with us. So we might, sure. in my kind of business, we might make no money on, on day one or make a tiny bit of profit or just cover our overheads. And it might be a year or two before the client reaches the point where it's like, wow, we're really making profit from this client now. This is great. This is, you know, our overinvestment early on was worth it. Totally different in e-commerce. You know, the money is in the bank. So there are quite a few schemes like that where you can borrow money and it comes straight back. Just with that caveat of if you don't pay it back, it all does go wrong pretty quickly. So just be a bit like payday loans. You know, they can be great if you know you can get the money back or it's an emergency charge. You can pay it back when you're you know, when you've been paid, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah. It's a good way to do it if you're secure in that. But yeah, it would be very, I'm just trying to be very careful not to give any financial advice, of course, but it would be very, very dangerous to suddenly, yeah, suddenly grab it the first month you make profit on Google ads. That's not what that's for. I think get no, some traction first and be very confident in it. And then as you say, you've done it, you can use it just to kind of go up, up a couple of steps on the ladder quickly. Yeah. Without too much heavy lifting or having to wait for the, wait for revenue to come in to fund it. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, we, we spoke earlier about being conservative. So I would be conservative. You know, when you first want to take, for instance, a loan, be conservative. Take an amount that you are doubly sure that you can afford to take and that you've applied the belt and braces principle to all of your calculations and take that step and see how that works. Look at it, analyze what happened and go again and perhaps be a little bit more uh, brave the next time if, if necessary. One of the the things that's interesting is the emergence of these new models, whereby it's more so in the US, but it's it's emerging here too, whereby loans are available for e-commerce businesses, specifically linked to your performance of your Shopify site. And if you're on marketplaces like Amazon, those as well. And the loan is paid back through directly related or linked to your disbursements. So your payouts from, say, Shopify or Amazon it's all vetted before the loan is given to you. And in the event that, you know, it all goes peak tong and um, you can't pay back the loan because it's only coming from your disbursement payment from say Shopify or Amazon, that's it. You know, nobody's going to come and take your house. If, if your uh, business stops making money, the, the, the loan isn't paid back. And that's the risk that, you know, the provider of the capital is taking on. And it's a, it's a, it's a new model that's emerged as organizations, particularly in the States, have become a lot more savvy uh, and understanding a lot more how e-commerce works. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think I want to change gear slightly now. Sure. So we will come back to accounting in a future episode. We've got a couple of um, accountants and financial advisors who can come on and I'm hoping can give some actual advice. So we might even take some questions ahead of those. But um, yeah, let, let's, let's gear change very slightly then into legal, because mm. this is another area that can cause businesses to fall apart overnight. You know, a business, it's got a good product, it's selling well, the customers love it. But again, it's some sort of back-end problem, business falls apart. Starting really simply then, and these are easy ones to tick, um, especially with Shopify, privacy, T's and C's on the website. Everybody needs those pages, don't they, Ben? How can they add them into Shopify? Yeah, so the boring bit is that you need a privacy policy. It's a, it's a document that discloses how your business will gather, use, and manage the customer's data, the customers who are who are on your website. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it informs the customer or potential customer of what you're gathering and how they're protected. And you have to have one as part of Shopify's terms and service that you have one. But the great news is that they actually have a privacy policy generator. So it's incredibly easy for you to make one. I would still say, you know, Belt and Braces approach is that after you've used their free generator to make one, it's not a bad idea to have that looked over by a, a legal expert um, in this field, just to make sure that you're fully covered and that your policy is ticking all the right boxes in terms of GDPR and anything specific for the industry that you're in. Sure. And I think absolutely beautiful when I set up my own Shopify store and it said, you need a privacy policy and a terms and conditions page and uh, click here. And I clicked there and they were already written for me yep. with a bit of um, code in them to say, insert store name here, yeah. insert store address here. I was like, brilliant. And I, and just, just to be clear, I didn't even have to actually put in my name and store it. It automatically pulled those using those bits of code. Yeah. So again, absolutely brilliant. Again, bigger question then. So mm. how much do e-commerce store owners really need to worry about the legal side? Like, is there a kind of set hard and fast process in most countries legally if a product goes wrong or something goes wrong, et cetera? Is there a hard and fast uh, process for that? Does every store owner, you know, probably need to talk to a lawyer before starting their store? It's how much of this stuff's clear cut for them? The good news is that there's lots of free, good information out there, um, particularly from reputable organizations like Shopify, who do have helpful information on their website. But nonetheless, no matter what, I think it's always good, particularly if you are selling products that, you know, you'll have a feeling yourself whether you feel like there's any particular additional risk or consideration that you need to think about with your product you know what is your product sit down and think about what is your product how is somebody somebody using this what could conceivably go wrong and from that alone you'll have a good feeling of whether you ought to be seeking further advice in any case you know insurance is a is a a very important consideration and product liability insurance is cheap to obtain but vital, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you, every year you renew it and you think, oh, I'm paying for this and, you know, it's more money out the window and I, you know, I, I don't use it for anything until the day you need it. And hopefully that day never comes, but you know, <laughs> you, you absolutely Indeed. have to have a product liability insurance and it needs to be a policy which covers you in every territory in which you're selling your product. It's a bit like car insurance, isn't it? Yep. I think there's a lot of analogies I often draw between e-commerce and cars. And I always say with car insurance, I mean, I, I personally haven't had an accident in years in my car. Like, you know, we, well, they're, they're officially legally called incidents now, not accidents, because mm. accident implies it's no one's fault. Uh, so that's, that's recently <laughs> changed in the UK for sure. So you sort of look at this amount of money, you're like, oh, do I really have to pay that? And then 
you know, when I last time I did have any sort of incident, I sort of made one phone call, a breakdown truck turned up and took my car away and put it in a, you know, put it somewhere to basically get repaired and the insurance company covered the cost. I was given a, a taxi that took me to the hospital, check I was fine. And then I even got another taxi all on behalf of the insurance company that took me home. Um, I then had a hire car that turned up the next morning, which to be honest, was much, much nicer than the car I was driving at the time. So, and it was completely free. You know, that, that's what the insurance was there for. The insurance covered all of the costs. And then once my car was repaired, or if it was written off, they send me a check for the amount of money it was worth before the crash. I then go and buy another one or my car turns up repaired. It, insurance is just so simple and seamless like that. And it also means that if a client, you know, a customer does call you up or send you an email or something saying, you know, I've been taking your substance, your product, whatever, it, especially if it's something they do physically take, yep. probably more worried than most things or using my sunglasses as an example, we had to get our sunglasses tested to make sure they were UV. I think it was UV 400 was the number. It was quite a while ago now, but they had to be proper UV protection from the sunlight. If they weren't, we were still allowed to sell them, but our import tax in the UK was higher because they weren't safe, basically. If they were above that standard, which fortunately all of them were, then it was a lower import tax when we were importing stuff into the country from China where they were manufactured. And then also when it came to selling them, there are laws in the UK that we're not allowed to say that they are UV protection unless they actually are. And so if a customer was ever to email us, and I'll be perfectly honest, this is how we found out about that, is a customer emailed us and said, I've just bought some of your glasses I just want to check, are they definitely UV, whatever it is, protection? We got them tested very, very... We said, like, really sorry, we haven't had the tests done. We're going to check now. This customer must have been a lawyer or somebody quite savvy because they sent us all the documentation saying, well, you're claiming this, but you've not done the test. That's a bit worrying. So we got the test done quickly. Unfortunately, back to that customer and said, look, really sorry, they are absolutely fine. We had taken the manufacturer's word for it rather than having them tested, and that was fine. Yeah. Um, it turns out they were, which was good. But if they weren't then we've been advertising something wasn't true. And so I think having insurance against little things like that, but you've got to be careful though, because sometimes an insurance company will turn around and say, well, you should have done these checks. It's a legal thing, nothing to do with us. We're not paying out. So getting product liability insurance is great, but you can't just take out your policy and just say, oh, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, can't launch. I'm covered now. <laughs> covered now. You, yeah. you, need, you need to have, so for whatever industry you're in, there will be particular regulations, safety requirements, standards. And if you're claiming that your products conform to them, you need to make sure that they do. So that might mean getting the services of a testing house to have your products tested. And then after they've been tested, you might then need to pay to be able to have them certified by a particular regulatory body or to get a, a certificate that you can display on your product packaging or on your website or in your marketing in general. You can't just take your manufacturer's word for that. And you just mentioned marketing, which is exactly what I was about to bring up as well. Okay. Once you've done all of this, it becomes a massive USP if your competitors haven't or they don't make much of a song and dance about it. You've got to be careful. You've got to understand the customer. So I think if somebody's buying some sunglasses and all of your marketing is like, these are safe, trust us, that's not the best message to go to market with. However, it's, a, it's probably like a good third, fourth, fifth message, something like that, where it's a sort of, oh, they look nice, click on those. Oh, yeah, they're lovely. They're, you know, made of wood. They're eco-friendly or oh, brilliant. Oh, and they're UV protection lights. They're going to look after my eyes. Perfect. Yeah. You know, it's, that, that, that can be the difference between a sort of, if one site says it and the other one doesn't, but they are both compliant, the one that does say it, if the price is similar, you're probably going to go down that road to go, well, I might as well protect them, even if it's, you know, an extra dollar or two on the price. So yeah, this can all lead into then marketing messages. But then, as we say on most of our podcasts, we talk about marketing, 
do a focus group, ask your customers, you know, what was it about our product that made you want to buy it? And every customer will say to you straight away, I mean, I could look at any item of clothing I'm wearing right now, like the trainers I've got on, I just couldn't believe how cheap they were and they looked great. So I just bought them. It was a very impulse buy. However, the pen I'm holding was quite expensive, but I wanted a really nice pen because I love sitting at my de- desk clicking my pen. So I genuinely went to a pen shop and clicked a load of them and went, that one feels great. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to buy that pen something. And so getting that information is really key. So some of this is you have to have it, but then also there are certain things you can then use as marketing activity and marketing collateral. And what you just said there about focus groups was really important because when you understand what your customer wants or who, who your customer is, you can understand whether you need some of this stuff. For instance, it might be that you're going to need to get your product tested to check that it does the things that you say it does. But you may not need to then shell out for a certification. So let me give an example. It's a little bit of a of a sidestep, but <laughs> let's go there. When you when you when you when you're building a house, okay, there's a there's a standard. It's a German thing called passive house. House as in H A U S. And basically, a passive house is a, an extremely environmentally friendly house, and it's almost like a fully sealed unit, and it's losing very very little energy. It's very environmentally friendly, and you can have your house built to passive house standards, but it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more if it's actually certified as a passive house. So it could be that your product, you can test it and have the test certificates done by an independent third-party tester to show that it reaches standards X, Y, Z without then having to pay to have it certified. And if your customers are quite the type of savvy customer who does quite a lot of research on your product and will read your information, it says that it reaches these standards, then that's great. And you wouldn't necessarily have to shell out to be able to slap a big badge on it that says it ticks these boxes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes, as you say, that's enough to give you the marketing bit to reassure the customer but you then don't have to shell out lots and lots of money. I think with our sunglasses, it was something very similar where we just need to get them tested to be able to say UV protection. We didn't actually, there was no rule and we didn't, and we thought our customers would be a bit like, why are you showing me this massive certificate to prove your glasses are that? Why would you show me that if they just weren't by default? Unless, and this, we're not going to cover this today in detail, but unless you want to, with your marketing and your brand, be what I would call disruptive. You want to actually go out, which a couple of our guests in the last few months have, have done, done that with their stores, with their products, their brands, where they've gone out into the market and said, okay, everybody's selling this, but that's not even legal. Or people are buying this stuff because they think it certifies. So, so one example is a few weeks ago, we had True Cable on, on, on the podcast. They run a Shopify Plus store. And these guys were fitting, you know, giving you the equipment you need for IT systems in the US. And unbeknown to me, in the US, there are laws around the security and infrastructure of IT systems. But the problem is a lot of people are just going, we need a Wi-Fi router. So they just buy one on Amazon, plug it in, they're away. And that doesn't meet legal requirements. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but this is you know what they were sharing with me because it's a lot of their content on the site. Those items don't meet legal requirements in the US. However, True Cable's system does because they part of their customer journey and their upsell and their average order value increases don't just advise people to get some good kit. They actually build the whole thing to say, don't just buy these two Wi-Fi routers, buy this cable to go between them and this other box to make sure that you have a, you know, some sort of security against hackers or anything else, you know, or to make sure if anybody else connected to them somehow, they still can't access your infrastructure because that's a legal requirement. So I think... As you say, I love the example of 
yeah, get you don't have to get the full certification. You just need to be able to say, we've had them tested and here are the results. And yeah. it's kind of like, oh, cool. That's a good yeah. product. I'll buy that. However, I mean, to contradict what I've just said, <laughs> just and, and this is where people will need to think about what's right for their business and the industry and the, the niche that they're they're in sure is mm. that you can you can so doubt about your competitors so so if you do shell out for the full you know slapping the certificate all over your website and on your product packaging and your pictures and whatever you can so doubt about your competitors well they don't have that so does that mean they're not as good because the competitors don't have this shiny badge that says that that you know these meet all these standards and the competitors may well meet all the standards they just haven't shelled out to pay for that certif- certificate but by doing that you're standing out from the crowd so that might be an investment that's worth it and it's something that you know people have to think about for their particular business yeah i think certainly certainly a good point and the last thing i want to cover off today again is a nice introduction to some of the stuff that people need to sort out or you know g- get in line and understand is there anything else from your side ben that you've been through before especially with beast gear um, or any of the stores you're involved in at the moment, anything else that's been like a real hot topic that it's not the fun stuff on the front of the website? Is there anything else that's come up again and again and you've gone, right, that's the solution, put that in place, it works for us? Intellectual property. Yeah, interesting. People get this wrong all the time. I see it in the Facebook groups every day. <laughs> People post and they say, how do I get a trademark? Somebody replies saying, oh, you could do it on the company's house website for a couple of hundred quid. I did it. And then I reply saying, don't do that, please, please get a professional. And then I get slammed for uh, telling people to get a professional, which is going to cost them a lot more. But the trouble is when you do it yourself, you will get a trademark very, very probably. And you're going to get this trademark in the post and you're going to feel very smug. Oh, I got this trademark for only a couple of hundred quid. That that bloke Ben told me to get uh, an an expert intellectual property lawyer to do it for me. The (laughs) trademark is probably worth absolutely nothing. Because it's relatively easy to get a trademark. But just because you got the certificate doesn't mean that it actually is a giving you broad enough protection across all the classes and different categories within those classes that you need for your particular brand or product. But B, it doesn't mean you're not infringing on something that already exists. Mm. So just because you've created your brand doesn't mean that something else out there hasn't existed for a long, long time before you and that you're not infringing it just because you've, you've got a trademark. And so the benefit of having a proper intellectual property attorney do this for you is they will do the correct searches, first of all, to make sure you're not infringing on anyone else's intellectual property. And then when they find out you know, what you can and can't register, when they do that application for you, they will give you the fullest scope of protection that you could conceivably need, even if it's things that you aren't selling now, but you might sell in the future. They'll make sure that your trademark is applied for all of the right classes and all of the right specifics within those classes so an example that i've given before is and i I don't mind making this public domain it it is public domain it's on the company's house website if you go (laughs) on the company's house website and you search for beast gear you'll see the trademarks i did myself really badly in 2016 and then you'll see the exact same trademark redone in 2017 after I learned my lesson. And you'll see the difference between them. And so that trademark, completely agree with that you said, but just, just to roll back slightly in simplistics, I know some people will be listening going, why would I trademark? What's the point of it? Do you want to just outline what the trademark actually covers? If, if done properly, which is exactly your point. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm not an intellectual property attorney. Mm. Um, and I don't pretend to be one on the internet. But here's what I know as a Shopify seller. So just from my experience... The trademark basically sets out that you are selling products or services using that 
mark or name. And a trademark can be a name, you know, it, it can be written characters, or you can have logo marks. And, you know, a, a trademark attorney will be able to give a much deeper insight to this than I can as a layperson. But it's very important that you have trademarks for your brand and products, because it first of all protects you from anyone ripping you off. But also it adds value to your business because one day when you want to sell your business, somebody's going to want to make sure that you know, you've got all your ducks in a row and they're not taking on anything, any additional intellectual property risk by buying your brand, which unbeknownst to you has been infringing on something for a long, long time. So it's important that you have all that. It, it puts a, a layer of protection around your business. And for some some online marketplaces require it. Amazon requires that you have a trademark in order to benefit from some of their, their schemes, like the brand registry scheme, for example. Which means if anybody searches up Beast Gear on Amazon, you're the only thing that will come up, aren't you? Because Exactly. Another good example of that that we come up across against quite a lot on Google Ads is a really good example is one of our clients. They're a big insurance company. We're looking at launching some Google Ads campaigns at the moment around electric car insurance. Now we can say in, we can put whatever keywords we want in. So we can mention any brand of electric car, but what we can't put in the adverts are any trademark terms. So we can't use words. And I won't say any today, just because I'm trying to be sensitive about <laughs> financial information and legal stuff. But yeah, we can't put the actual names of those car brands in the advert unless we get permission from the trademark owner. Now that is, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that is both a law and what I am sure on is it is definitely Google policy. And it's the same with Facebook advertising, Amazon, et cetera. So getting a trademark is definitely something that needs to be part of your plan. And as you said, Ben, which leads me on nicely to kind of coming into land today, is that we're probably going to get, well, I say probably, I'm pretty confident we're going to have you back in a few weeks' time at the end of this series to talk about an exit. And you've already said how valuable having a trademark is to somebody potentially about to buy the business. And I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I imagine that's probably, and this is from experience of buying and selling a few small businesses over the years, I imagine it's probably so that the, you know, if you were to sell Beast Gear, there's not going to be beast-gear.com suddenly pops up tomorrow, selling exactly the same stuff by the same person after somebody else has bought it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's part of it. It it adds a degree of security, both you know, real and perceived, which is important for when you're selling your, your business. It means that, you know, the new owner will have access to all of these things that require trademarks, such as Amazon's brand registry. For instance, Shopify is rumored to be coming out with something quite similar. In fact, when you have correct intellectual property such as trademarks, but also design registrations and patents. These are all assets which have value and they add value to your business. So not only is it important from just a perspective of protecting yourself and your business, but going to the effort now of having them made means that in the future, you're adding significant amounts of value to your business. It's something that, that people, you know, I think bootstrapping your business is great. And when you're getting started, people are trying to save money left, right and center. And that's fine. But it's one of those things where I really say with intellectual property, I spend the money on getting a a really 
a reputable intellectual property attorney, preferably one with an e-commerce experience, to A, sort out your trademarks. And they need to be protecting your brand, not only where you're selling, but also where you're manufacturing. Um, And B, uh, any um, design registrations or patents that you might need as well. Uh, Both of those are very important. Absolutely brilliant. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show again today, Ben. It's been great to have you. And as I say, we'll almost definitely have you back at the end of the series to talk about an exit. So once everybody's got their houses in order, we're going to do an episode talking about assets, talking about probably the biggest question I'm going to ask you on that as well, Ben, just to tease everybody ahead of time. Biggest question is going to be, how differently should you run your e-com store if you know you're going to want to sell it one day? And I know from experience of not running my business in a certain way and then selling it, how much more money I could have made by making a few very small changes earlier on. So again, thanks so much for being here today. And we'll definitely have you back in a a few weeks time. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Cool. And to everybody listening, as always, check out the Facebook group, Winning with Shopify. We're going to start doing some more stuff on that probably through the summer and beyond the summer as well. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review in whatever country and podcasting platform you're listening through on. I can't confirm exactly who we're going to have on next week, but we've got three or four different people and we're going to be bringing in some people to break down all the things we've spoken about today. So specifically about how you build a financial business plan, about what sort of legal advice you should be getting for your store and some of the back end systems as well in terms of managing a warehouse, all that sort of stuff. So again, it's going to be a bit of a dry month, but as Ben and I have said, absolutely crucial if you're deadly serious about growing your business. So thanks again for listening. Looking forward to having you again with us next time. We post every Friday and we hope you're staying safe. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.